Okay. Wonderful. Okay. Wonderful. Good, good, good. Okay, and stuff is showing up in the record. This is good. This is good. All right. You're listening to Love Ya, your guided tour through the wide and wonderful world of streaming teen cinema and adult rom-coms. My name is Martha Sullivan, adult librarian and YA lit enjoyer, and I am here as always with my co-host. I'm Marn Hagman, uh, adult services librarian and rom-com enthusiast. And we are here today to discuss the 2020 Amazon original uh, Chemical Hearts, starring Lily Reinhardt as Grace, and my computer has frozen, that guy from Dash and Lily (laughs) as Henry. It took me an embarrassingly long time into this movie to be like, oh wait, that's Dash, okay. Uh, Austin Abrams is the name of the actor. Uh, it was written and directed by Richard Tan and adapted from the book My Chem- Our Chemical Hearts by Crystal Sutherland. Uh, Marin, would you like to give us a brief synopsis of this movie? Sure. Um, so this movie is about Henry and Grace. Um, Henry... Um, wants to be a writer, and he gets to be the editor of his high school newspaper, um, and a new student who has just transferred to his school is assigned to be his co-editor, Grace. Um, they end up, um, kind of bonding over, uh, walking home, um, and Grace, um, refuses to drive, um, him home, but she has a car and she lets him drive it, um, and leave the car at his house. Um, and there's kind of an air mystery about Grace. Um, she has a, she walks with a cane, um, and has a limp. Um, and when she lets Henry drive this car home, some person comes and picks it up later. Um, so they start bonding, um, and, um, you know, tentatively are starting, or he is starting to have feelings for her. Um, one day he, um, finds her at the grave of a boy who dies a teenager. Um, he does some searching. He finds out that this grave she was at, um, It's the grave of her boyfriend who died in a car crash, the same one that uh, gave her her physical disability um, and caused her to switch schools. Um, They do bond further and tentatively start a romantic relationship, um, but on the anniversary of the car accident, um, he learns that she has been living with the parents of her deceased boyfriend um and and in fact living in his room and wearing his clothes um and so they have a big argument break up um she goes missing um and he uh finds her um crying in a pool um wearing what she had planned to get married to 
Dom, the I should probably have said that, the former boyfriend who died in a car crash. Um, and he takes her back to Dom's parents. Um, and then we flash forward to the end of the year. Um, she has left the newspaper. Um, they're, you know, she has gotten into therapy. Um, and at the end of the year, they have a moment, um, about, um, you know, wishing each other well for the future. Um, as, uh, Henry goes off to Bennington College and Grace, um, is going to take a year to kind of help continue her therapy and get herself better back on track. Um, also in there, so that's just kind of the main back and forth between Henry and Grace. There's also some side plots about, um, Henry's friend. He has, um, whose name, unfortunately, I can't remember. Um, is it Sadie? Is that her name? No, Sadie might be the sister. Um, he has some friends who, you know, they get together in a romantic relationship. He also has a sister who's been heartbroken. So, there's a lot going on for Henry and Grace. There's a lot going on. That's the story of this film. Yes. Yes, if I had to pick one way to describe this movie, it would be a lot. This yes. movie was a lot. Yes. I also... So, I, I know that our sort of chosen wheelhouse for this show is movies that are directed at a teen audience. I recognize that also as somebody, as an adult human who reads a lot of YA. This was definitely a movie that was not... I could feel that I was not the intended audience for this film. Yeah. Which is fine. Which is fine. It is not a judgment call on the film. I just I felt it very, very strongly that this movie is you know, it's based off of a YA book. It is for teenagers. Yeah. And it's interesting because the author who wrote this book and the person who directed this movie are very much our age. Um they are very much millennials, not Gen Z. Um, so yeah, I think it's interesting, I don't know, because I guess part of me, and I will say at the beginning of this film, I, I actually had a little bit of an opposite reaction in the beginning, where I was like, oh boy, here we go, like, 20, 30-somethings writing teenagers, um. I still think it was that. Um. Like, this is, this is very much John Green with the serial numbers filed off. <laughs> um. Because, yeah, there were definitely some moments, I don't know, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to get at is there was especially a lot of, like, flowerly, flowerly, flowery language, um, that it took me a little while to understand, like, oh, this is just how this movie is, okay, um, it yeah. is also it is also the dialogue I felt was definitely how high schoolers used to write on like live journal. <laughs> yeah, it did. I was thinking about fan fiction. I was like, oh, yeah, somebody wrote an AO3 with this dialogue in it. Got it. Um cuz yeah, it was so steeped in like metaphor and 
It was a lot. Going back to your original statement, it was just a lot. Oh, yeah. Every, every line of dialogue in this movie is deeply overwritten. Um, but again, is overwritten in a way that still felt very familiar to me as somebody who used to write in a live journal. <laughs> like, it, it definitely has the John Green problem of this feels a little bit like tiny adults, but it also felt over dramatic in a way that felt very true to teenagers. And I think what this movie has going for it, and I think what surprised me, and I, this is a movie I came out of, not sure if I liked it or not. I, I kind of left with more just a, huh. Me oh. neither. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, I did. I like, I honestly, I, I left it with no, like, emotional box to put it in and I think part of why is because it's very much it it starts off in you know this very bombastic um you know steeped in drama and it it, it goes some places you don't necessarily expect it to go like there are some of the main plot beats, but it also, like, towards the, like, as the movie goes on, there are a few more quiet moments. Um, I think also it helps a lot. I think this movie doesn't work without Lily Reinhardt's performance. Truly does not. Truly does not. And I think she lends enough gravitas to like make those quieter moments really work um because yeah i definitely like the first spent like the first 10 minutes of this movie constantly rolling my eyes um i mean they had me right from the opening line of being a teenager is the time you're most alive i had some thoughts about that <laughs> i so i don't <laughs> I don't necessarily disagree with that opening monologue. I think this and see, this is another place where I think the truth of it is like, it is absolutely true that teens feel everything cranked up to 11, mm -hmm. like be, between their emotions and their hormones. Like it is all the most important thing that has ever happened to them. And it is utterly believable to me that a teenager would yeah. then classify that as this is when we are the most alive. And I guess I can't see my I guess my problem is I can't relate to that much because even when I was a teenager, I was like, being a teenager sucks. And like, I'm not into this whole being a teen thing. So like, when do I get to get out of it? So, I think the movie kind of says that, too. Yeah. Yeah, I think by the end. I And one thing I do appreciate, and I think what I was kind of trying to get at earlier, was, like, it really does... I, I think it does take them on a realistic journey of, all right, like, the story here is them both growing as people and getting to start a new chapter out of high school. Was my big wish for this movie. I wish that it had been from Grace's point of view. Oh. 
Because I am very, very tired of the manic pixie dream girl. And even though Grace is very depressed and very traumatized, she absolutely is filling that role in this movie. And I could not shake the feeling that the movie is using her trauma to teach Henry a capital V, capital I, capital L, very important lesson. And I don't know, I I did not really love the way that that felt. Yeah, I mean, not gonna lie, multiple times during this movie, I thought about Kate Winslet in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and I'm gonna try to remember to bleep myself so poor Pete doesn't have to do it, but in her line of like, I'm just a blanked up girl looking for my own peace of mind. Like, there were multiple times in this movie where I thought about that. Um, But ultimately, though, I would say the interesting thing is on one hand, yes, you're right. Like, it, it does use her trauma to teach a lesson. But on the other hand, the lesson is that he lets her go and lets other people help her in the process of healing. Um, I, Which I think, you know, like, other movies with manic pixie dream girls don't necessarily do. I don't know that I agree with that I mean the only reason he lets her go is because she pushes him out like pushes him out the door and then drops out of school like I I don't necessarily know that he would have done that without without her being like no really like this isn't working for me oh I kind of read when he brings her home as a like okay like this is, you need some help. That's not going to be at, me. Yeah, at that point, I guess the scene before that, when he's, when, so they have their big, like, kind of blow up fight, and she's like, this is just where I'm at. And he is clearly vacillating between, I'm in love with this girl, but I can't deal with her trauma, which is fair. Like, her, her trauma is huge and needs to be dealt with like she needs to be dealing with that with professionals which by the end of the movie she is thankfully um but he is also like i want you just the way you are and she i think very rightfully is like well no you don't actually (laughs) i don't know i did not really see his like I didn't see his letting her go as being something he wanted, but more something that she like kind of forced him to accept. Oh, I guess I, I, the way I interpreted that scene where he drives her home from the, you know, the pond where she is, you know, in her wet wedding dress. I truly I truly had a moment, Marin, where I was like, he's going to find her dead in that pond. Uh, I did, too. Um, <laughs> don't you worry. There was some pre-watching Googling, which is why I agreed to watch this film, because I made sure <laughs> that didn't happen. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I I interpreted him more actively being like, whoa, okay, like... I don't know. I mean, again, not to say I I disagree with you that I think it would be a more interesting 
and like more satisfying story from her point of view. Like I think it does definitely suffer from um being the story of his lessons instead of her like overcoming her trauma or not overcoming but like learning to process her trauma. Um but I think I mean I guess I don't know. I well, and I think that of the two stories that we get, hers is more interesting to me. Mm. And I I kind of wish that we hadn't gotten her story filtered through yeah. Henry's gaze. Like, I, I think I would have much preferred a version of the story that treated Henry like the Manic Pixie Dream Boy. Mm. And who was there to assist uh, Grace on her recovery. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I guess I just, I, I think this movie is smart enough to not, like, going back to Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which, I mean, for the record, I love Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I think it's a fabulous film, but, um, in part, I, but, well, and I will admit, I don't. Okay, and I will admit, I think part of why I love Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is it very much deconstructs the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Um, and I know we have gone back and forth on 500 Days of Summer, and part of why, <laughs> part of why I have no patience for 500 Days of Summer is everything it does, Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind does better. Um, but that is oh, my man. that is my red oh, hot take. <laughs> um, okay. In that in that regard, <laughs> I should say, um, and they're they're and and part of why I think that is because. I mean, I think it does such a good unraveling of that relationship. And, um, I, I, but one thing I appreciate this movie didn't do that Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind does, um, is, you know, there's that moment at the end of Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind where Kate Winslet's character is like, well, like, we're going to fall back into these patterns. And Jim Carrey's like, okay. And I'm glad at least this does not have that. True. I really liked that by the end of it, like the last we see of Grace, she has showered. She is wearing her own clothing. Mm -hmm. She's in therapy. Like she's still. um, And and I liked that she's like, yeah, I'm taking her off because I still have stuff to deal with. Like, it's not just something right that got fixed. Um, Yeah, the scene where she. Because we we get the story of her feelings of guilt kind of piece by piece Mm -hmm. so by the end by the end we find out that she blames herself for the car accident and she blames herself for Dominic's death and that is the weight that she is carrying that this man that she saw her entire future with she blames herself for him not being there anymore yeah um and you know her her whole deal is like I'm trying to let this go. I want to let this go. I want to move on. But ultimately, I can't. I'm not ready yet. And I feel like I kind of wanted that explored a little bit more. Yeah. Which I don't think we could have done unless this movie was from Grace's POV. Yeah. And I think, too, it just would be more... 
Because, yeah, because I feel like in a lot of ways we've seen this story before, right? Of, like, man falls in love with damaged woman. What does, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, from breakfast at Tiffany's on, you know, like, it's an old, it's an old trope. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think you're right that centering her story would be helpful. Just because, like, Henry... What would you say that Henry's character arc is in this movie? Um, I would say I think he... I mean, I think that he come... I think it's on paper... Okay. And let me distinguish here between I think what it's supposed to be Versus what we actually get. I think on paper what it is supposed to be is him recognizing that teenagerhood is this wild, wacky time in his life and brain and that he will get to move forward from this time and be okay. Like, I think that's what all the stuff with, like, the chemicals and the, you know, the brain chemicals and all those conversations he has with his sister are are supposed to lead us to in that essay he has at the end. Um... Like, I think on paper, that is supposed to be his arc. Mm-hmm. Um, is realizing that teenagerhood is a transient time in your life that is propelled with emotion. Um, and he will get to move on as his brain settles and, you know, his cerebral cortex finishes growing by the time he's 25. Um... The problem with that is, like, his actual arc is he meets this girl, likes her, breaks, you know, they break up. They date for a hot minute. They break up. He has good friends. He goes to college. Like, that's what, in terms of, like, his actual arc, that's what we actually see. Versus, I think, the emotional arc the movie wants to tell us he experienced. And maybe that was part of my problem. Like, I, I found what Grace was going through to just be more interesting yeah. on a story level. Um, and and this, again, is like, I don't think this is... Like, this is not the story for me because I did that already. Like, I went through being a teen. It sucked while it was doing it. I got better. <laughs> um, but Grace's story is not one that I have lived experience with. So, like, mm-hmm. that's the one where I'm like, oh, tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, it's like, and I, I know being in library world, this is something we talk about all the time. But, like, books is windows and mirrors, right? I was just thinking about that, Yeah. <laughs> And books like, as windows, books as doors, and books as mirrors. Yeah, and um, you know, I think for I think the intention is for this story to be a mirror in the sense of you know, most yeah, most people can relate to having been young and like propulsed with emotion and teen hormones. Um, and again, as I kind of was talking about earlier, I actually don't relate to that element of this story that much. Because mm-hmm. I, I feel like as a teen, I was pretty, 
invested in getting out of teenager hood. So sure. I, was, I was not very I was not very plugged into what was going on socially. Um but I, I think for a lot of people that's a very relatable experience. Um but yeah, like versus but yeah, when you have this mirror held up in his story, but like, look, the window of her, you know, look what's outside that window, her story. We were interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost think, because I think there is a place for like a well done version of like, what does it mean as a teen to like love someone with this deep trauma and realize that like the healthiest thing for you all is letting go. Like, I think there is a place for that story. I think that, I mean, even honestly, if they had commingled the points of view, mm-hmm. like, and, and really articulated that better, because, um, yeah, I think there is a place for that. And I think that, uh, unfortunately, you know, having it all be his point of view it it just means we don't get that balance and we don't we don't get to see that story in contrast to like her grappling with her trauma mm-hmm. like and in that way it kind of reminds me of um a little bit do you ever see that movie 5 feet apart I am familiar with it, but I haven't seen it yet. And and so one thing and honestly like I probably like that movie more than it deserves. Um Mostly just because I think Cole Spruce and, oh my gosh, what is the female lead of that movie? I just think they're very um, charismatic. Um, But one thing that movie does is because you are, like, seeing them fall in love while both going through this thing. Like, you get to see both that, okay, Haley Lou Richardson. Um, You get to see that both, like we're going through um this thing but also like um i'm falling in love with someone who is also going through this thing you know mm-hmm. and I, and not to say that's a perfect movie i know there's a lot of like very valid critiques of that movie but i think that's one thing it in contrast to this movie that makes that movie more interesting sure Uh, I would like to just briefly touch on the sex scene for a moment. Yeah. Because I was actually impressed with how they handled that more than I was afraid of. Um, So they, Henry and Grace go to a Halloween party together or they meet at the Halloween party after she says she doesn't want to go with him. I don't know the circumstances. Yeah, are they both end up at this Halloween party? I also was having a hard time keeping track of like, wait, his friends texting him? She's there? Like what? Hmm? Well, because I think they were they were supposed to go, and then did they? I don't know. I don't remember. They were supposed to go together. They didn't end up going together. He sees her at the party. They end up hooking up. Um, And in the course, like, as they are leading up to it, um, Henry admits that he's never had sex before um, after Grace is like, it's been a while, I'm a little rusty, and Henry's like, well. Um, But everyone is very, like, sensitive about it. They um, explicitly use a condom. 
I really appreciate that because I think far too few films actually show that like, all right, do you have a condom conversation? And the whole thing is a little bit awkward. Like Henry has a moment where he was like, sorry, I laugh when I'm nervous. And the whole thing just felt very sweet and real. And at the end of it, like towards the, the morning when the sun is starting to come up, like Grace is crying in bed because, you know, she's trying so hard. Like clearly she likes Henry. I don't know that she ever likes him as much as he likes her, but clearly she, she likes him. She is trying so hard to put the effort into making this work with him. And she just, at the end of the day, she just can't. And I thought that the, the end sequence after that, um, after they sleep together was a really like, that was kind of the moment that, you know, it's not going to work. Yeah. I think for me, um, but I just thought it was very like the whole thing was put together in a way that I found very sensitive to both of them. Um, Cause I think there's a way that they could have done that. That would make her more um, that would make the audience like more upset with her mm-hmm. that she would do that when she's not kind of on the same page emotionally as Henry and I, I did not, th- I didn't, I think the f- movie was trying very hard to be sympathetic to both of them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was navigating that. Cause I think very often, um, you know, and again, this is one where I bring up where I think 500 days of summer does not do this successfully for me. You're, but like, I think often when movies try to portray that type of imbalance in a relationship, they can err on the side of not sympathizing with the person who feels less. And um, so, yeah, I think this is very nice that it it was balanced. Anything else we want to address? Oh, I wanted to address, I liked Henry's parents. That was some good... They did some good parenting. I I did, too. I did not think that Henry was very fair to his parents, but that was another moment where I was like, that's a very teen thing for him to be saying. Like, you guys can't understand me because you guys have clearly never had fights before. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I also... I just appreciated that, like, Henry's parents got to be, like, around and trying their best. I loved that moment where... Henry was like, can I borrow the car? And his dad's like, oh, where are you going? And Henry is like trying to circumvent the fact that he's going to go hang out with Grace. And his dad's like, well, like, if you want to go somewhere, but you're not going to tell me, it's like the consequence is that you can't use our car. Like, mm-hmm. you can take an Uber. And then Henry's like, but I have a credit I have a card. Credit to credit card. <laughs> and his dad's just like, well, I guess you can walk. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, A plus team fair team. <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. And I just loved the way like his dad was just like, oh, well, here are the natural logical consequences. Like, Yep, you lied to us. Yep. So, no, you yep. can't have it. Yep. Oh, I appreciated that. I, I would have loved to get a little bit more from Dominic's parents. Yes. Because, so we learn that Grace has, 
that Grace moved in with Dominic's family a month before he died because she, her mother is an alcoholic and life at her home had become untenable for her, which was a much more thorny situation than just, I am living in my dead boyfriend's house. Like, I, that was another point where I was like, I would truly love to be able to explore this dynamic a little bit more because I just feel like Dominic's parents had to be like, like clearly they love Grace in, in a really big way. Um, you know, she talks about how that she grew up with Dominic and he was her family. And I, I just, I don't know that we necessarily got to appreciate the depth of that relationship. No, it was kind of slapdashed in, in the end, I think to like make it the reveal that, you know, she has been living in his room and living with his family and that the person who's been picking up her car from, uh, Henry's house isn't her dad, but Dom's dad, you know, like, I think it was held deliberately to make it be this reveal. Um, and yeah, and then we don't get the emotional. Because yeah, on the surface, like living in her dead boyfriend's room is a really weird and upsetting thing. Like that is, that's like, that's sort of next level trauma response, I think. But if you look at it in the context of oh no, she was already there because she was dealing with, like his family was helping her deal with her family situation and then she just stayed. I don't know, that feels... There's a point at which the movie wants to make it weird that she's doing this and in that context, I don't think it's weird. I think it's sad and also deeply loving on the part of Dominic's parents. And I just, like I said, I don't, I don't know that we fully got to kind of unpack that. No, I think the movie, I think the movie deliberately wants to go for like the shock rather than actually unpacking what that means. Yeah. And so it just tacks it on at the end. And then like, presumably like we had to fill in a lot of blanks of like, presumably the ones helping her, get into therapy and and process her trauma and take a year off to kind of get back on her feet. Like, presumably that is all thanks to Dom's parents. Mm-hmm. But we're left to fill in that blank for ourselves. So, yeah, some very good parenting and adoptive parenting in this film. Surrogate parenting. Surrogate parenting. There we go. That's a better word for it. I also feel like there's a lot happening with, like, she's the one that survived. So what does that look like for Dom's parents to be taking right. care of the the person who was in the car with their son and survived when Dominic didn't? I don't know. There's so much, there's so much happening there. And... I don't know. I I would have liked to have spent more time with that. And I mean, going back to like spending some time in her point of view, like even cause, yeah, that's got to be unbearably hard for them. But also like, 
he she was a strong connection to him you know like i um and actually this is part of the reason i'm recommending the book i'm going to recommend is because there it's a similar there's a similar kind of plot line and we get to see those conversations of well you survived and our son didn't but our son loved you so we're so glad we still kind of have this connection to him through you but we're also still heartbroken like that's a lot to just kind of tack in at the like 80 percent mark of a film yeah i feel like there's a completely different book there's like four completely different books in here based on whose perspective you're centering right and And i'm Oh, sorry. Obviously, that's always true. Like, there are always characters going in the background that have their own things going on. But I felt it very, very strongly with this book. <laughs> or this movie. Yeah. Based on a book. But. And I would be curious. I mean, I'm going to assume that the whole book is from Henry's point of view. Um, I mean, I think that's a I safe assumption. So I haven't After, And honestly, I don't know that I will. I don't know that I need to. Fair. Fair. Um, Did we ever find out why that teacher is British? Total non sequitur. Nope. Okay. That's either just the actor that they hired or the actor they hired decided to do some kind of affectation. (laughs) I was like, huh, we're not going to address this again. <laughs> I mean, I guess whatever. It's not worth addressing. But I just remember, I was like, huh. Did it get addressed and I missed it somewhere? To be fair, I was cuddling a puppy through part of this film. So I feel like there were little things I missed along the way, I'm sure. So yeah, at the end of the day, I, I don't think this was a bad movie. I just don't think it was for me which is fine everything doesn't have to be for me um but i did think that it occasionally teetered perilously close to um using grace's pain to further henry's story yeah i uh, yeah which i didn't always appreciate yeah, I think I came out of this movie similarly like, okay, this is not for me. Um, I think it's a better version of this type of story than others I've seen. Um, I think it made some interesting choices in the back half. Um, yeah, I definitely was thinking a lot about the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope um, throughout it. Yeah, those were kind of the only thoughts I had to tie together. I, I, I'm glad we both came out of this movie being like, oh, I could not put a coherent, like, box around this movie. So what would you recommend that people follow this movie up with? Yeah, so I am going to recommend, and I have recommended the first book in this series, um, a, a vastly underappreciated romance novel series, but... Um, this time I'm going to appreciate, or I'm going to recommend the last, um, from the Ones Who Got Away series by Roni Lauren. Um, and it's a series about, um, a group of school shooting survivors. Um. Okay. 
And so the last book is about Kincaid um, and her boyfriend did not survive the school shooting, um, but she did. Um, and many years later, um, her, uh, so she is still, you know, very much kind of similar to, what reminded me of it is similar to Grace in this movie, like her now deceased you know, boyfriend's family has kind of stepped in and really helped her, um, and really, you know, kind of become her family. Um, but yeah, many years later, her old best friend, um, moves back to town and, um, they kind of both have to grapple with what, um, that school shooting meant for both of them and, um... And then end up falling in love along the way. Um, there is a little bit of a, I don't want to say friend zone, but yeah, it turns out this friend is, you know, been carrying a torch for her for forever, which sometimes I think that trope can be very poorly done. I think here it's done just fine. You know, it's not, um, there's no like, um, I have it, earned this. Yeah, exactly. There's none of that. It's very just him being like, yeah, I always loved you. I moved away to give you some space and I'm moving. I'm temporarily back in town because I have to be, but I'm not here to... Anyway, um, not to spoil too much of this book, but yeah, The One For You by Roni Lauren. Um, I think it's great. I think that series is vastly underappreciated. Um... Yeah. Martha, what would you recommend? Uh, I am recommending the novel History is All You Left Me by Adam Silvera. Uh, Adam Silvera is an author who writes a lot of books that make me cry a lot. Uh, this one is no exception. It is about a teen boy, Griffin, whose ex-boyfriend dies in a drowning accident um, after they have had sort of an unsatisfying an unfulfilling breakup and Griffin has been sort of harboring this hope that they're, they're both in college and once they are home for the summer, they will be able to reconcile, uh, which obviously is taken away from him after Theo, his ex dies. So the book is about him needing to reconcile his grief with the existing memories of this boy that he, that part of him thought could be, um, his partner for the rest of his life. Um, it is very, very sad. <laughs> um, mm. But Adam Silvera is also very, very good at leaving you with a note of optimism. So I would say even when his work is unbearably tragic and sad and about people dying too soon, that ultimately he he likes to end his books on a note of hope. So, Marin, would you like to introduce our movie for next week? Yeah, so next time we are going to be doing um, the new Netflix uh, film, Good on Paper, um, which just premiered uh, in, on June 23rd. So this is a fresh movie. Um, and it stars Elena or Eliza Schlesinger. I'm going to pronounce that wrong. Um, Ryan Henson, um, and Margaret Cho. Fantastic. Uh, if you 
would like to get more from our podcast stream uh, while you are waiting for our next episode. That was a super awkward way to say that. <laughs> um, our sister show, Did You Do Your Homework, updates on this uh, same feed on Opposing Wednesdays from this show. You can also follow us on all of our shared social media accounts at DYDYH Homework or DYDYH Podcast. Excuse me. Uh, and Marin, where can people follow you on social media? Yeah, folks can follow me on Twitter at A underscore star underscore danced, um, where I basically only tweet about romance novels these days. Um, so if that has interested yeah. you at all, feel free to give me a follow. You can find me at Magical Martha, and mostly these days I tweet about how much I don't like my job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not fair. That's not true. It's not about how much I don't like my job. It's about how hard my job is, which is very. Um, uh, but yeah, that's me at all the places. Um, sometimes I write a newsletter, although I haven't written an issue since January. So that's, you know, maybe not super exciting right now. Um, but you can follow me on Letterboxd, where I meticulously rank and record all of the movies that we watch for this show. Thank Marin, you. Would you, like to, would you like to take a guess at where I slotted in Chemical Hearts? Oh, let me take a guess. I am going to say, I'm going to guess you put it like squarely in the middle, like squarely in the mid-20s. You would be exactly correct. It is Boom! 24. <laughs> oh, called it. Or no, yeah, 24. I ranked it below Candy Jar and above the space between us. Okay. Okay, that, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I thought Candy Jar was funnier, and I thought the space between us had slightly less good characters. True. Although it did feature more Gary Oldman. Yeah, but that's not (laughs) great. (laughs) Don't love that. Um, But thank you all so much for listening. Uh, We appreciate you. Um, and I hope that we will, uh, be able to accompany you again in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening. And just remember that we love ya. Okay. So the problem was before I stopped myself, cause I didn't want to make Pete have to bleep this out, but I was going to say about the space between us, at least it has Gary Oldman who fucks. That was yeah, that but again. That was that complete like thought. That? Is that good? It's, it's interesting. I don't know. Sorry. Just to let you know my complete thought there. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you. Thank you. Likewise. Um,